White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 605. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. We're back. We're back. Andy Fix is here. I'm Van Allen Plexico. I'm here. Andy, we are here to talk about two really, really big episodes of Babylon 5. Yes, we are, and I am super excited. Man, we've gotten to the end of Season 2. It seems like... It's funny. It's like um, on the James Bond podcast that we do, on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, Alan J. Porter and I have, you know, last year we finished reviewing the, the 25... Bond, Eon Bond films, and in a way it seemed like it took us forever. Another way it seemed like it took us five minutes. And it's kind of the same way here. You and I get together every two weeks, and we haven't even been doing this a year yet, believe it or not, and yet we're already to the end of season two. I mean, what have what have you thought about it so far this year? How, how have you enjoyed it, or, or if you have? Uh, you know, I, I have enjoyed it. Um, it. It seems kind of strange because the whole the the Sheridan story arc kind of all blends together for me. So it, it, at 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 one point I was thinking, man, this is really slow to get started. You know, this season seems to be real slow to get started. Then all of a sudden, wow, we're getting towards the end of the season. But then the past four episodes, things have really kicked oh. off. So I, I forgot how how similar season two was to, to season one, the, the more episodic stuff. It's true. They they sprinkled in a lot more of the um, the story arc. You know, we had a lot more movement on mm-hmm. that, but there were still a lot of episodes that that had that season one feel, where it's just you know a little bit more episodic than than what you know what I was expecting out of season two, which will come in season three and season four, of course. Yeah. Well, and you might you might be surprised to real, realize this, but I kind of peeked ahead just in terms of those episode titles and stuff. We still got some episodic stuff to go in season three. It's, it, it, yeah. goes on, it goes on longer than you think. We still got, uh, epi- not to give anything away, but we still got episodes like Passing Through Gethsemane, A Day in the Strife. I mean, there's some standalones that we haven't even gotten to yet. It, it's, cool. it's, very, it's very much like the end of season one where you build up to this big finish and then you just kind of like relax and, ha- and kind of ease back into the next season again. So right. it's, it's interesting. Um, and and, and it's, that's one of the things, you know, we've talked about the things we've discovered doing this show and watching it again with a very critical eye this time and an analytical eye. And one of the things I've discovered is the rhythms of those episodes. Like, it's like you said, I, I knew what was coming, but I didn't have a, com- you know, going in, I didn't have a complete feel for the rhythms of the big episodes and the little episodes, the booms and the, and the, and the, and the, rela- and the relaxing, you know, and then the boom and the relax. And I'm getting a sense now 
that it really was kind of like you you start the season kind of big and then it kind of you calm down a little bit and you have some standalones. Maybe you have one or two big ones kind of in the middle. You have another kind of a calm little period. And then bang, 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 bang at the end, which carries over into the beginning of the next season, and then it kind of relaxes again. There's a very definite kind of a stress structure to this series right. that I'm that I'm noticing. Yep, agreed. So that reminds me, by the way, I hadn't even thought of that until just now. We gotta have to. We're gonna have to round up um, Nathan and Bobby and do our season two overview soon. That would be awesome. I'm. I yeah. That was that was a really fun show to record. So I'm looking forward to that for season two. It was good to be able to kind of go back and revisit what you and I had had learned and experienced, and get their instant feedback on it, and then kind of get their reactions that way. I thought that was really neat. Right. Yeah, and of course they're very insightful too, and have seen the show a billion times as well. So right, and they brought some great insight. Even even with us watching the whole season just recently, mm-hmm. they brought some great insight to the discussion. That was like pretty cool to, to to get a different perspective outside of you and I. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we'll I'll I'll cast the net in the next few days, and we'll start looking ahead to. I guess instead of doing three hundred one, three hundred two, our next episode, we'll try to see. Depending on scheduling, we'll try to see if we can get them in to do the season two kind of putting to rest and and overview and everything. So that'll be cool. So in the meantime, we got two good ones to talk about tonight. Holy cow! Yes, yes, we do. So um, before we get going, there's a couple. There's just well, I've got one news. Uh, announcement brief and about 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 the new show, the reboot that we talked about. Supposedly, um, JMS has turned in his final draft of the pilot script for the reboot to the CW, WB, whoever they are, and he says no more revisions. They like it a great deal, and they expect to get a go no go by the end of this month of January 2022. So we've only got a few more days left until we should hear something about is that show going to go forward or not. And of course, it's complicated by the fact that there's behind the scenes, you know, buying and selling of the company going on. But one way or another, we should know something pretty soon. That's that's exciting because yeah. ever since he announced it, it's been kind of this. Uh, you know, pinch me in my dreaming sort of thing. But once mm. they, they, you know, if they give it the, the, the green light, yeah. then it's really going to get crazy. And it's crazy to think that they would give it the green light now and it would air this fall. They're going to have to cast it, design everything, build the sets, do the scripts, yeah. shoot everything, and have it ready by August or September is kind of a hard to, hard to imagine. That That is old school TV style when they used to do that. I mean, in... in today's world of, of streaming series where you get eight episodes per year, you know, when things yeah. are, are kind of decompressed and, and they have plenty of time to film everything ahead of time. This is seat of the pants, you know, film filming two weeks in advance before the show airs, that type of thing. So, wow. yeah, that's, that's old school. And that's, I think that's awesome. That's fun. It's hard to imagine to me that we're living in a time now where we could have a new Babylon 5 show in, in this calendar year we're in right now, 2222, because some people may be listening to this you know, on down the road a little bit. These shows kind of linger on forever, but we're recording this in January of 20, 2022, and it's hard to imagine that we could have, we've just had Foundation and a Dune movie that was excellent. We could have, you know, we could, we're going to have, we've got the, the, the Boba Fett show right now, more Mandalorian coming. All the Marvel shows that are on, 
Um, Wheel of Time, which was really good, I thought. Um, Let's not forget the the Expanse. The Expanse just wrapped up. I mean, there's just so much amazing science fiction and fantasy television right now. It's just a it's an embarrassment of riches. You know, we used to pick through the scraps to find anything worth watching, and now (laughs) there there are very high quality. Oh yeah, right now there are very high quality sci-fi and fantasy shows that I just don't have time to include because there's other ones that I want to see more. Right, and it's it's A-listers are coming to you know the the science fictiony stuff now, looking you know yeah. to get cast. Like now, if if you are if you want to be a name in Hollywood, you got to be in a Marvel movie. I mean, they're they're talking to <laughs> anybody and everybody wants to be in a Marvel movie. It's just amazing, sure. well, you know how how the how the the the. The, the wheels have turned from when, you know, like oh. you were saying, when we were kids where oh, yeah. we had nothing to, yeah. I mean, we had, you know, Spider-Man on TV, which was horrible, but it was Spider-Man in live action. So we watched it and loved it. We watched it because that was what we had. Yeah. And yeah. then we go to Joe Crow's panels at Dragon Con and talk about it. <laughs> still. <laughs> but um, the thing, I think one thing they've really learned is it's better to do five, six, seven or eight excellent episodes of something than 24 episodes or 22 episodes where five or six or seven of them are great. You know, I mean, they've really changed the dynamic to where everything they put out now has to hold people's attention. You can't, you can't just throw padding out there anymore. And I'm really curious to see how that affects Babylon five, because when we watched Babylon five, the first time in the 1990s, we were still used to that formula of you have padding you have yep. episodic episodes that you kind of, you know, you have the ones that Joe wanted to drop off the, the pier, let's sink in the ocean. They're not going to be able to do that this time. They're going to need to be much more uh, high quality from one end to the other with no waste and no padding, you know, and it's going to be interesting. Right. It'll be interesting if it does get the green light, if they go with the standard 22 episode season. I can't even imagine getting, I mean, we're so used to, you know, the 13 episode being considered a long season now. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine getting 22 episodes of one show in one season. That would be mind boggling. You know, the, the, the far extreme of it, I've just recently over the last year in my spare time, because I had Paramount Plus mainly to get like the Star Trek shows and stuff, but they had Perry Mason, and I'd never watched the old 1950s, 60s Perry Mason. The first season of Perry Mason had 40 episodes, an hour yeah. long each. They filmed that thing year round, no breaks. Yeah. And I'm just like, right. can you imagine today shows that run for years don't get 40 episodes? It's just mind boggling. I, I will I will bring up one example of a of a of a show that is that has writing and acting and all that stuff that plays almost year round and that would be professional wrestling. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I hadn't thought of it, but it they is record kind of a... fifty two episodes a year and they have writers writing every single sometimes up until the cameras start rolling they have writers writing those episodes. Well, some some people would say that Formula One has a writer's room too, but there has a whole other <laughs> whole other story. Anyway, um, all right. So by the way, I wanted to note that we've now gone over four thousand downloads on the main feed. We're closing in on five thousand di- downloads on the main feed, and that doesn't include the people listening on Patreon, and it doesn't include the people listening on the to what I like to call the reruns that we put on the White Rocket channel a week or two later. Although it's actually getting a little bit behind on there, so the people that listen on there are getting way behind now, just because we've had a lot of new White Rocket shows go up over the holidays. But that's pretty cool. And we've we got about six thousand downloads now. Yeah, 
I, I heard a rumor that we are now available via Audible. Yes. Yes. You can download our show through audible.com and through, the, through your Audible app. That's right. It's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. I just happened to look on there and I thought, oh, they have a podcast tab. And I just typed in our show and boom, it came right up. So I was like, wow, how about that? So yeah, I know we're on Spotify and uh, other main ones, but I didn't realize Audible even had shows like ours. So there you go. That's pretty cool. Um, so... Um, and once again, by the way, we'll, we'll mention it at, at our halftime break in between episodes, but uh, we do have a Patreon now just for this show. So it's at www.b5review.com. I always wonder if I get that right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, b5review.com. I always want to put an S on the end of it, but this is B5Review. Click on the button that says become a patron. I, I uh, updated that site recently so that it doesn't just have tons of little players. It now just has one player that gives you all the episodes. So that's a little more concise. Um, so uh, let's get on into it. Um, remember, as always, we try to save our spoilers for the end after a signal. Uh, the jump gate will signal that we're going into spoiler space. So you can safely listen to these two episode discussions without getting future episodes spoiled, and then we'll talk about spoilers at the very end. So we got to talk tonight about 221, Comes the Inquisitor, oh man, Andy, and 222, The Fall of Night. Oh man, I'm excited. So, as always, would you like to kick off or defer to the second half on the summary? I can do the, the summary for the first episode. <laughs> you always um, like to do the first see. one. Always go, I love it, I love it. It always works this way. Go ahead. Um... Let me see. I, this is the one where, oh, Kosh brings in a, an agent of the Vorlon Empire mm. to test Delenn's allegiance or worthiness to the mm. cause. And uh, Jakar attempts to bring uh, the Narn on board his, his uh, the, the Babylon 5 station uh, together yeah. for his cause. Yep. Your holy cause. I anticipate doing a lot of Sebastian tonight, so just might as well get used to it and get ready. Because um, I dearly love... In fact, you know, I posted a picture that I had with um, um, with the actor. God, I'm blanking out now. <laughs> I, I saw that. That was a cool picture. He looks very personable. Oh, he was so nice. Yeah, that plays Sebastian, plays Lorian, plays a... I think he plays a yeah, this uh, is... Drazi at some point or a Narn, yeah. Yeah. Wayne Wait, Alexander. Uh, Wayne, yeah, Wayne Alexander, yeah. He plays a bunch of different... This, this was not... Or, I, this may have been his first appearance, but it's certainly not his only appearance. No, not at all. But I, I think it's his most memorable. Even though he plays Lorian, it's a character. Again, no spoilers, but it's a character you'll see later. Um, yeah. I, and he's good. He's a good character, but I think that uh, Sebastian is my favorite thing he did. And when I met him there at Dragon Con, I, I met him two different days. One day in that picture, you see I have my Space 1999 t-shirt on. The next day, I have my Babylon <laughs> 5. I have my Sheridan Black Army of Light Babylon 5 uniform on and got a picture with that, but I can't find that picture. I have a printout of it. And um, I got him to sign my cards. So he signed the Sebastian card, the Lorian card, and one other one I forget. But for the Sebastian card, he signed it Jack, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. So I've That's got it cool. behind me here. Um, so I want to touch on, before we get into the details here, I want to touch on something you said about what they're testing, what Kosh wants to test Delenn for. This, it's always kind of murky exactly what he's trying to figure out, but let me run this by you and you tell me if, this is, if you agree. It seemed like Kosh was trying to find out, and through, and, and through Sebastian trying to find out, was Delenn in this to help others, or was she in it? to make herself big and powerful and, and famous and all that. Is that the sense you got? Oh, absolutely. I think he made that actually pretty explicit there right yeah. at the end. 
Um, yeah. Or not right at the end, but but when when the test was finally over, he he kind of explicitly stated that. Which, well, I I thought so, but like the uh, like for example, the Lurker's Guide summary says Kosh tests the lens allegiance, and I'm like, well, it wasn't really her allegiance that he was testing, as so much as as her humility. I don't know what word you would use there. Her um. It, what? Why is she in it? You know what I mean. It's it's testing right. her dedication to others versus making it about. In other words, you just kind of find out was she was was she Napoleon or Gandhi? I guess in a way, you know. I don't think right. anybody thought she was Hitler, but is is it going to go to her head and she's going to want to be Empress of the Galaxy, or is is she going to be willing to sacrifice herself even for just one person? And that's kind of the answer that he gets finally. Right. Right. So. Um, and I got more to say about that. All right, this was production number two twenty one, and, and it aired uh, number two twenty one. It, it aired. It's another one of these that the British got to see it way early. They got to see it in August of ninety five. We had to wait till the almost the end of October of ninety five. Um, written by JMS, of course. We're on a long streak now. Written by JMS. I, like I said, I think we may have seen the last of anybody but him until season five. Now there may. Maybe there's, I don't think there's anything in season three or four that he didn't write. I think we're in that stretch now. I, th- I think Knives was the very last one. Yeah. And directed by Mike Vijar, who is another one of those, I always say there's like the Mount Rushmore, although it's probably more like five or six directors that do the big ones, and this is one of them. This episode got an Emmy nomination for cinematography. I... You know, if you just asked me what episodes in this season would have gotten Emmy nominations, I probably wouldn't have said this one. But I think a lot of the visuals with with Jack, Sebastian, you know, and the the way they filmed it in that dark room with the lights and everything, I can kind of see they yep. they made a lot out of very little, you know. Absolutely, I, yeah. I was I was thinking that while I was watching it that there were there were a couple of scenes and I can't uh, think of them right off the top of my head, but there were a couple of scenes that were like, wow, this is very well. You know, very well done as far as the scenes were, how they were set up and framed and stuff like that. And and you and I can once again rail our shake our fists at the heavens and say, you can make the inside of a warehouse look awesome for an interrogation <laughs> scene, but you can't make the council chamber not look like spray painted plywood, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> right. <sighs> well. Notable guest stars, really just two. There's Wayne Alexander as Sebastian slash Jack, and there's Jack Kaler as Mr. Chase, the arms dealer. So we get the uh, we get the arms dealer character. I thought he was actually fairly uh, fairly interesting and effective. I liked his whole. Uh, he seemed like somebody out of a out of a James Bond movie or something in a way. Right. So, do you have any factoids or notes you want to throw out before we get into this one? Good. The only factoid that I have for this one, and this is more for me than for anybody else. I had no clue that the, the, the actor for Sebastian was not British. I thought for sure he was a British actor, but he was born and raised in California and he's got a perfectly normal American accent. Yeah. He, I can testify firsthand that he does. That is correct. Yeah. That, that floored me. Yeah, that's right. Um, I have a few just sort of details like that similar. And then I've got a few about the episodes. Let me kind of zip through them very quickly here as we like to do. Um, at the Narn meeting, one of the Narns was played by a CNN reporter who was there to do a story on Babylon 5. And they put him in makeup <laughs> and stuck him in there. Dennis Michael of CNN was one of the Narn. I so thought that was pretty cool. He was, he was embedded. <laughs> yeah, he was literally embedded with the Narn, yeah. And Londo's like, I will take him out with any of them if he gets in the way. Um, 
Wayne Alexander plays several other characters in the show, but they all wear heavy alien makeup. This is the only time he appears without makeup. Um, JMS has said that Jakar, and by the way, I had forgotten, as much as I love this episode and have just watched it by itself many times, I always forget how big of a role Jakar plays in this episode. I always think of this as the Delenn and Sheridan and the Inquisitor episode, but this was a big Jakar episode. Yep. And he, JMS said Jakar is Cassandra, gifted with prophecy, but heeded by none. And that's very true. Um, I thought one of the things that was interesting about this episode, was, and JMS kind of commented on this too, is that up to this point, we have been led to believe that the shadows are the evil bad guys, and therefore the Vorlons must be the good guys, right? We are working for the yep. Vorlons. They're the good guys. They're going to save the day. We just got to... This episode was designed in part to make the Vorlons a little more gray and make you start wondering, maybe they're, maybe they're not the super good guys that we thought they were. And I think it is effective at that. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Just, yeah. just in their choice of, of who they use as their agent was, <laughs> yeah. was pretty, uh, pretty telling. Yeah. These are the good guys, really? <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, this marks the second time a major secretive power has sent a human representative to Babylon 5 to ask a question. Mr. Morden for the shadows says, what do you want? And the Vorlons with Sebastian say, who are you? So yeah. we have, who are you and what do you want? And those two questions kind of linger out there and circle around for something. Again, I'm, I'm avoiding spoilers. We can talk about this in sports space if you want to. But I think that, that is, there is something there. That was a remark made by uh, on the Lurker's Guide. I think they were onto something at the time. So, we'll- And a- a- as a writer, when coming up with a story for my characters or with just coming up with characters, those are the two questions. If I'm ever stuck at any point mm. in time in the story with a character – those are the two questions I'll ask my characters and see what they come up with. So, yeah, and, and I think that's that's probably for a lot of writers, which are why that JMS picked those two questions. Who are you? Matthew Gideon, captain, assigned to the Earth Alliance destroyer Excalibur. Well, we'll get to that later. <laughs> that's not that's <laughs> not the answer we're looking for tonight. <laughs> that's a little bit later. Um, JMS says there is no correct answer to Sebastian's question of De- to Delenn. It's about a process of tearing one down. In other words, there was nothing she could have said. You know, we were like, "Come on, Delenn, think of the answer before he kills you." There was no correct answer. The process was the point. Right. So anything Delenn had said, he was going to find a way to to poo poo. Right? She says, "Delenn, that's just your name. Who are you?" Well, I'm the daughter. Of, that's just how you're related to somebody. Who are you? You know, and she kept. I'm the ambassador. That's your job title. Who are you? There was nothing that she could say that was gonna that was gonna satisfy. Him. It was just about breaking her down. Right. He was. Yeah. Just peeling away the layers of the onion. Yeah. Absolutely. Now I came up with this, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Sebastian references the Bible three times. Three times. And I've been kind of keeping track of this because JMS does like to go back to Bible quotes every now and then, and I find it very interesting. He says that uh, Sebastian says that after he the Vorlons picked him up, the scales fell from my eyes, right? And that's the Apostle Paul arriving in Damascus after he's been blinded by the light on the road to Damascus. Right. That's one. He he tells John and Delenn. Um, there's no greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's, I believe, from J- um, uh, John. Yeah, Book of John. John, whichever John. I forget. My yeah, the Gospel of John. And then um, 
a silence as profound as when the whale swallowed Jonah, which, of course, references Jonah. And also, he references Diogenes with his lamp, looking for an honest man in the dark. I thought that was cool, too. So, Sebastian just got so many great lines in this episode. Right. And he delivered them all with such... <sighs> I mean, we could this talk is about... What, this is... Yeah, this is one of those roles where with any lesser actor, hmm. it would have been scenery chewing on the worst scale. Could be. But uh, and the lines that he was given and just his role itself was was built for overacting. But he delivered spot on exactly how it needed to be delivered. So much, so much good. Uh, somebody wrote in before this episode to JMS and said, I can't wait to see how you torture us next week. And JMS says, funny line that you'll understand in a few days. (laughs) (laughs) Um, JMS also made a point that when Delenn says, uh, when, 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 uh, when, when Sebastian asks uh, Delenn, he says, So Delenn is right, and the world is wrong. But what if the world is right, and Delenn is wrong? Have you ever considered that? Have you? And she says, Yes. And JMS notes that the look on Wayne Alexander's face is so perfect because he said this was not the answer he expected. It rattles him. It was not the answer he wanted or needed to hear so that he could pronounce his guilty verdict. And yep. he needed, he needed, JMS says that he needed Delinda to say she had not the slightest scintilla of doubt. She was a true believer, a fanatic, incapable of mistake, and therefore doomed to failure. So when she says, yes, I have considered that I could be wrong, Sebastian, who was a true believer, right, and that's he expects other people to be like he was, he can't even meet her gaze. He turns, looks away, and suggests an intermission that is more for his benefit than for hers. I really like that. Yeah, that was, that was very well handled. I thought that was super mm-hmm. cool. And I, yeah, yeah that, that's something that you pick up on while watching it, too. Just, just his reaction was, was uh, very telling. Because he's already made up his mind. He knows that she's not going to pass, and he's just there to, pro- to go through the process. Right, and so, because he's been doing this for 400 years. Exactly. So when she doesn't follow that script, it throws him off his game. Yep. That's neat. Um, and then lastly, two, two last little bits. JMS said there was a scene where Lanier, concerned, tracks down Kosh to inquire about Delenn's situation, and Kosh just blows him off, which is what then sends Lanier to go look for Sheridan. That scene was filmed, but was cut for time. So there is a scene out there of, of Lanier talking to Kosh that we've never seen, and I guess never will see. I thought that was interesting. And then the last thing, for once, Garibaldi gets to say straight to hell instead of Sheridan. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of Sheridan's, you know, byline. He likes to say straight to hell, but Garibaldi got to say it. All right, so there's all of my notes. I had a, quite a few for this one. This was a big one. So, what was your high point of Comes the Inquisitor? My high point, and we touched on this already, was um, uh, Sebastian. The who yes. are you, and just uh, the way that he tore Delenn apart. You know, tore her down and 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 made her. It it, it was kind of like a crucible. I mean, you could see. The process was tearing her apart, but it was also, you know, hardening her and, and turning her into the character that we know from season three and season four. So I thought that was super cool to see that happen real time. Yeah, because it not only reassures Kosh and the Vorlons 
that she and I guess Sheridan are the right people. But also it reassures Delenn, who has been suffering a lot of self-doubt lately, you know, with all the... We've talked about how she's really kind of taken blows from every direction, really. Right. And, uh, in fact, the only real assurance she'd been getting was draw. You know, other than that, she's been kind of getting it from both directions, uh, human and Minbari. So I think it was right. good to have somebody tell her, you are, in, you know, the right people in the right place at the right time. When the, We'll get to that. Yeah, my and high point – oh, go ahead. A, a, a lot of people look at this episode and, and um, Wayne Alexander kind of steals the attention – but uh, Mira Furlan's performance mm. in this episode was phenomenal as well because you oh, could see right at the beginning how unsure she was of herself as, as a person, and then by the end you could see how sure she was of her mission. I mean, that, like I said, it was a real-time transformation. Yeah, right there in front of us. Absolutely. Oh, she's just incredible in this show and never got enough credit for it. Never. Except with the fans. We all knew. But, right. Yeah. Um, my high point, yeah, I, I put down pretty much every time Sebastian opens his mouth was my high point. I just, <laughs> I just love him so much, and everything he does, whether he's a jerk or not, it's just worth watching. You can't look yep. away. All right, what was your low point? My low point, and I went with the emotional low point, was okay. the elevator scene with uh, Jakar oh. and Veer. That was oh. just heartbreak, especially that last line, then I cannot forgive. I mean, that was... <sighs> It was so intense and so well done. And and Jakar could have torn him apart. Heck, he had a knife. He could have killed him right there in the elevator, which, you know, goes back to season one where Jakar actually does, you know, they do come to blows in the elevator with, with uh, Malari. But um, he he's in, he's a different character now, and he's in much more in control. And that mm. that last line was just, it was almost as, as if he did stab him with that knife because you could see the look on Veer's face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That again, I had forgotten that that whole Jakar plotline storyline was in this episode, and it is every bit as powerful. I mean, it doesn't have. It's funny because in those two storylines in this episode, you have incredible performances. On one of them, you have Wayne Alexander and Mira Furlan and and Box Lightner to a degree, and in the other one, you have uh, um, Andreas Katzlis. Yep. Just, ki- just killing. Just amazing. Just killing. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's another one who was too good for 90s sci-fi television. Oh. I mean, See, we, the Babylon 5 fans were so spoiled that we had no right to, to get somebody of that talent level uh, on I this swear. show. See, this show gets criticized for the acting. And there are plenty of people that come in and out the doors of that station that are not great actors, right? That are getting a paycheck, that are from soap operas or something. And that's fine. But mixed in with those are these performances by some of these actors that just could have been on anything, on any show, any movie, anywhere. And, Absolutely. And just, yeah. Three of the main cast, you have um, Malari and yeah. Jakar and Delenn. All three of the ambassadors were just superb actors, just out-of-this-world actors that, like I said, had, had no right being on a, on a you know, 90s sci-fi late-night TV mm. show. And by late night, you mean three o'clock in the morning in Atlanta, <laughs> right? Exactly. Oh yeah, bless them. Yeah, That's I used amazing. to I used to stay up till midnight to watch the show every Saturday night. I've we've talked about. It. I had to run the VCR and watch it the next day because it was at like three right. o'clock in the morning in Atlanta. <laughs> right. It wasn't staying up to watch it. No, it'd be getting up early to watch it. But um, my low point is just the one technical problem with this episode. I just thought it was funny, so I had to pick it for this, and that is the whole issue of which end of London. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> J- let me start at the beginning with it real quick. So JMS researched that it was the East End where these murders took place. He then typed West End while thinking he was typing East End. He has said, I yeah. don't know why I typed West End. I knew it was East End. I just typed the wrong word and I don't know why. Okay. So then Bruce Boxleitner says West End. But so um, JMS was asked, are you going to leave it that way? And he says, well, you can read Bruce Boxleitner's mouth saying West End, so I'm going to leave it. So they did when it first aired. But then after it aired the first time, JMS is like, we're going to go back and loop it. And they looped it, I mean, they did a voiceover. And he said, it came out good enough that we're going to go with the loop. So now when you watch it, Bruce Boxleitner's mouth clearly says West End, but the audio says East End. And JMS is like, well, we fixed it. This is good enough. And then somebody else wrote in and said, what about the captions? And JMS went, nuts. (laughs) (laughs) And if you watch it with the captions on, it still says West End. So now, if you watch it, let me just sum this up. If you watch it now... Bruce Boxleitner's mouth says West End, the voice says East End, and the caption says West End. <laughs> and you just are like, I'm so confused. Oh, that's awesome. That's so funny how TV, you know, you just he just forgot about the captions, and they never have fixed it. They still haven't fixed it, so. All right, do you have an Orenzento Ari Benzane overacting award? Or are we going to have to retire this category because it's just getting so good? I, I, I have nothing for this one. I mean, like I said earlier, the, the Wayne Alexander could have could have been yes. the yeah. one for this, but he knocked it out of the park. So no, I think this was uh, extremely well done. Yeah, that's what I said too. Is that exactly what you're thinking? That he's so good that he takes a part that could have been right up there with you know General uh, Colonel Benzane or whatever rank he was. I forgot now. I guess Colonel <laughs> Benzane, and he and he just does it so well that it doesn't. I mean, I mean, maybe we could get the the arms merchant because he was kind of a gravelly voiced Bond villain, but he was okay. I mean, he was he wasn't chewing the scenery too much. I didn't think so. Right. Yeah, we may have to retire this category for a while. Well, there's a couple coming up. We'll see. We'll see. Um, do yeah. you have a most Babylon Five scene? Of course I do. Um, it, it, there's a couple of them I could have chosen, but I think the one. Uh, was right there when he finished up the test, when Sebastian finished up the test and said, you are the right one. I thought that was very Babylon five because that, that, you know, that, that sets the, the two main protagonists for the, the rest of the story right there. You have it right. We have, we agree. We agree. (laughs) And I've got it written down. He says, at last, my job is finished. Yours is just beginning. When the darkness comes, know this, you are the right people in the right place at the right time. And then I have the adenum at the very end, which I just love this so much. He says, good luck in your holy cause, Captain Sheridan. May your choices have better results than mine. Remembered not as a messenger, not as a reformer, not as a prophet, not as a hero, not even as Sebastian. Remembered only as Jack. Oh, I love it. I love that. I love that so much. It's, oh. Yeah. I love it. I just love it. Because they, they could have gone really overboard and leaned into the whole Jack the Ripper thing. Yeah. But they didn't. They, yeah. I mean, unless you know your history, 
and, and know about Jack the Ripper, you have no idea what you know who Sebastian really was. I do like that early on he looks over the balcony at all the people in the Zocalo, and he's just like, they're just like always, you know, yeah, up to no pick, good. Yeah, <laughs> picking out the obvious, obvious prostitutes. Yep. Yep, he's just passing judgment as he always would. Yeah, that's right. That's his thing. So, uh, let's see. What was your? I'm glad we agree on that. What was your favorite character moment? And and I got to tell you right now, by the way, we're ignoring the Jakar plot line in this so far. We got to give him a little credit too. So I'm just curious what you think here. We we absolutely are. And and I actually have written down and then scratched out the uh, <laughs> then I cannot forgive uh, scene. Yeah, I, I originally had that one, but I had to go with. The lens interrogation, just like we talked about earlier, simply for the, the same reasons that I gave earlier. It was it was seeing Delenn become the Delenn we know and love. Yes. Over the course of, of forty three minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I have a Delenn moment too, and it is when she says, "We all have a destiny." And this is a this in all the fireworks this episode. This exchange eluded me all these years. I never really registered it until now, but I this time I watched it and it really hit me. Because it's much more low-key. She says, we all have a destiny. And Sebastian says, do we? How magnanimous of you. And she says, sometimes we do not see it because we have been taught to believe we are not important. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, that's one of those, again, it was so low-key compared to some of the histrionics and fireworks this episode that always kind of went under my radar. But that is such a great line. Sometimes we don't see our destiny because we've been taught to believe we are not important. Right, really, I, and, really and JMS threw a lot of psychology at us in this episode. I mean, it it was like like a, a Matrix movie or something. There was a <laughs> lot of psychology being thrown around. It was really cool. Well, you know what his college degree is in? I'm Psych- going to guess psychology. Psychology, <laughs> you're darn right. There you go. That's good. Um, I had though. I had a couple of Jakar I want to mention though. Um, when he's up there at the very beginning, are you willing to sacrifice all that you are to keep all that you have? That's a so many great lines, and, and they're not just confined to Delenn and, and Sebastian. Everybody right. gets a great line in this episode. Again, I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it more in a minute, but I think this is a what we would call, what the kids would call this is a low key epic episode. It doesn't seem like an epic episode because it's the penultimate episode. It leads to a big bam boom one in the next one that we're going to talk about, you know. Yep. It's just it's just a, like, some conversations, but these conversations are amazing. And then I have um Jakar to the arms dealer, the money to buy these weapons comes from the life savings of those Narn who were able to escape the Centauri occupation. It is a limited resource purchased with blood. If it should be squandered or stolen, be assured that while your body might one day be found, it could never be identified from what's left. Boom! Another great line. My gosh! And then the one that you said, dead, dead, dead. How do you apologize to them? I can't. Then how can I forgive? Yeah. Gosh. Deep just, deep stuff for sure. Every scene in this episode is just a killer. Just amazing. Just amazing. All right. I do not have, I'll tell you up front, I do not have a funniest moment from this one. I don't. I. You know what? I, I, I do. I have a one. There was just Thank one goodness. moment that made me chuckle. Okay. And it was still in in kind of a dark conversation, but it was kind of it was kind of funny when um, Garibaldi was talking to Jakar about the arms shipments that were coming through Babylon Five, and he asks him, "Do you know anything about this?" And Jakar looks at him and goes, "Mr. Garibaldi, 
I know that you know the answer to everything before you start questioning. And Garibaldi's like, well, yeah, probably. And he said, <laughs> well, then let's just pretend that I lied to you. And we'll pretend that you used your faultless logic to catch me in that lie. And let's go from there. I, I, I chuckled a little bit at that. So That was good. Leave it to Garibaldi to give us a, 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 levi- a, a moment of mild levity in an otherwise very serious episode. So, yeah. Right. That's right. And it, wasn't it something along the lines of Jakar, he, he expected Jakar to tell the truth, and he did? Right. He was giving him an opportunity to di- – he, he expected Jakar to tell the truth, but he was giving him every opportunity to disappoint him. And at the same time, Sebastian was expecting Delenn to say the wrong thing. Yeah. So there's another kind of counterpoint going on in this episode. Right. Great. Good. Yeah, the the right the writing in this episode was so tight. I mean everything so, was was God. was was tied together even if they don't seem to be tied together. It it was it was all very tightly written. It was it was wonderful to watch. I tell you right now, when they do the reboot, they're going to rewrite some episodes from the ground up. They should just leave this one alone. Just leave it alone. Right. Just refilm <laughs> right. this. And I'll tell you right now, I don't know who they're going to find that's going to do so. If they if they did, and they may not do it at all. They might do something completely different. But if they try to find another Sebastian, I don't know who you got. I don't know who you get that could do that, do it better than this. And, well, we already know they're never going to replace Jakar. They're going to have to change the characters. But anyway. Right. Um, all right. Who won this episode? And that's a toughie. Uh, I'm going to say Sheridan and Delenn won this episode because they mm. they came through this and and with a renewed vigor for their cause. Yeah. I agree. And I noted also maybe Sebastian, if he really did want to die, right? If he really was tired and ready to give it all up, because then he got what he wanted to. Right. And and, and, and the, the expression on his face is so good when he says, you know, maybe now the Vorlons will let me die. And Sheridan says, maybe that would be for the best. And he gets this this hurt look for a moment. And then he's just kind of like, eh. <laughs> There's just a great little moment there where he doesn't say anything, but he kind of looks up like he's going to go off. How dare you say that about me? And then he just kind of goes, eh, you know, and he's like, yeah, maybe so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go, Andy. How did you rate this one? You always make me go first. I always All right. Make you go. So uh, I, 4.5, I'll just flat out say 4.5. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to give it a five, but there were a couple things that held me back. A, right. It, 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 there's there's only so many 5.0s that I can give out. So this, this is one true. Didn't quite make it because, as you mentioned earlier, it was, really was just a bunch of conversations. Yes. They were good and intense and well-written and well-acted yes. conversations, but it didn't have as much plot as as right. I was expecting it to have. So that's the only thing that really held it back was that was uh, was that. So four but four point five isn't bad. If I could go four point seven five, but you you've already nixed <laughs> that. We can't do the the quarters. Nope. nope. So nope. it it, it would have been a four point seven five, but yeah, not quite a five for me. Andy, one of us has copied off the other's paper because <laughs> not only did I give it a four point five, not only. Did I give the exact same rationale in my notes that you just did? I mean, like almost word for word. Oh, wow. But I also toyed with five. <laughs> so we are ultra simpatico on Comes the Inquisitor. It is a. We're, like an old, we're getting to be like an old married couple. Then. <laughs> That's great. But we, we are. Um, it is a strong 4.5. Yes. It is not that it barely got up to 4.5. It easily got to 4.5, and we couldn't quite put it over that. And I'm, I agree 100%. What an episode. Really, really, really good. 
Um, as good as anything so far. I think it's one of the top three episodes so far, along with Chrysalis and maybe uh, uh, Coming of Shadows, maybe. Uh, I forget, maybe we, I remember what else we rated a four point. Have we had a five yet? Maybe you have. I don't think I have. I I think I'm looking back right now. I I think I gave something a five, and I don't I th- really remember. You may have given Chrysalis a five. I think that was our highest rate episode so far, the end of season that, one. That may have been. Yeah, yeah. So I still haven't had a five, but believe me, folks, they're coming. And if you're watching the show for the first time as you listen to our show, as I think some people are, that should make you happy. Because as good as these episodes we've been giving 4.5 are, there are better coming. (laughs) Better days are coming, believe it or not. So, man. All right. So let me pause for just a second in our show to thank our patrons. And this is a very short list, although growing. And we're so grateful it's growing. Because remember, we have no longer – we have divested – this show's Patreon from the main Patreon for the White Rocket Network and the Wishbone and all that. So this net, this this channel, this show has its own Patreon, and we have to thank the folks who have already, in such a short time, moved over or joined up new. Go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, and click on the button to become a patron, and we would really appreciate whatever you're able to do to help. In exchange, I post the new episodes like this one, on the Patreon page as soon as possible. And by the way, Andy, I wanted to apologize to our patrons for only getting like a day and a half early episode this last time because you and I, I think it was mostly me, but I forget exactly, but you and I had stuff going on and we kept getting delayed. And we ended up not being able to record our last... We usually record on... We used to record on Tuesday. Now we record on Wednesday. So it's already a day later, but that's fine. But we ended up not recording until Saturday night before the Monday that we post. And so I got that thing up as quick as possible on Sunday, but that only gave them a day. So, and, and, and just so that everybody understands, when we got to delayed to Saturday, I had a great temptation to just say, well, I'm not going to do this over the weekend. Uh, let's just do it next week and be a week late. And I thought, no, I don't want the patrons in particular. I don't want everybody to have to wait, but I don't want the patrons to feel like they're getting already kind of ripped off this early in the process. So we went ahead. Andy was very gracious to agree, and we did our show Saturday night so that we got it up on time. But we're back on schedule here, so the patrons should get this episode probably Thursday before the Monday everybody else will get it. So www.b5review.com. Here are the fine folks who are currently helping us to make this show a reality. They include Allison Rich, E.J. Alexander, Rich Hammett, his arms wide, Colonel Dad, Emmanuel Seaman, Michael O'Connor, Stu Parker, Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head, and Michael Hallbrook. You guys are fantastic, and we appreciate everything you're doing to make this show a reality. And while I'm at it, uh, Michael Halbrook wrote in this week and said, I just switched over from the main Patreon. I noted that you and Andy indicated enjoying the book of Boba Fett. Me too. Did you get a Billy Mummy vibe, a Bill Mummy vibe, Bill Mummy vibe from the mayor's major domo? First episode, I had to pause and go see if it was Bill. The mannerisms, speech patterns just reminded me of a slimier Lanier. That's, that's, that's not a bad take. What did you think, Andy? That, you know, I, I, I got a vibe from him, but I couldn't place it. But now that that he mentions that, 
by golly, that's probably the vibe I was getting because yeah, now that I'm looking back on it, he does come across as a slimy linear. And that that major domo is my my favorite new character. <laughs> he's hilarious, show, yeah. So, yeah, he's awesome. So yeah, that that's that's very insightful. That's pretty cool. And I think the actor that plays him is actually the guy that played um Julia Louis Dreyfus's ex husband on Veep. The um the former the sort of first husband X. And he's really funny on that show too. That's a hilarious show, by the way. So I, I will have to take your word for it because I'm not even sure I've ever heard of that show. It's an HBO comedy that came on for like five years up through about two years ago where she's the, she's the vice president and the people around her are, she's a very incompetent vice president with very incompetent people <laughs> around her. And he's her ex-husband who's constantly popping up and just causing problems in the in the in the uh, the, the vice president's office. So it's really it's really that, so- that sounds hilarious. I might have to track that down. It is very good. I they used to have a double bill on HBO on Sunday nights of Veep and Silicon Valley, and those are just two of my favorite. Those are hilarious. I love Silicon Valley so much. It's it's the show that's got it's got the uh, the, the the high school teacher from Spider Man movies and. Um, the Indian actor from the Eternals. Um, oh, okay. They are they are both computer programmers living in Silicon Valley with a couple of other characters, and it is so funny. It, those are both really good shows. I recommend them both highly. Um, okay, let's get into the Fall of Night episode two twenty two, the Fall of Night. Um, I, I, <laughs> my note at the very top is where do we even begin with this one? Because this episode <laughs> is chock full of stuff. Uh, here's my summary which is, I think, the Lurker's Guide summary. I cheat and get the easy thing. Uh, As the Centauri War escalates, a Narn war cruiser seeks help from Babylon 5. Earth takes a position in the war. We'll talk about which position they take. And Hmm. Keffer, oh, Andy, oh, Andy, Keffer makes a terrifying discovery, which is, I I would just in notes say, the terrifying discovery Kiffer makes is what does it feel like to be zapped with a shadow shadow blast? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't feel good, apparently. Doesn't tickle. And what does Kosh, it feel like to have your face boiled off? <laughs> oh, and we see it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And Kosh takes a drastic step to save a life. Yes, he does. All right. This is production two twenty two. Uh, it aired wow, in August. Hmm? That is an understatement if I've ever heard of Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it aired in August in the UK and November 1st. So those dadgum British folks, bless their hearts, they got to see this in August and we had to wait till November. Are you kidding? Oh. Good thing this was before the internet. Otherwise, that would have all been spoiled. Oh, it, well, I mean, there was still there were message boards and stuff back then. Right. It just wasn't uh, it wasn't like it is now. My God, Twitter yeah. would have blown up. Written right. by JMS. This is uh, we're back on the Mount Rushmore. Directed by Janet Greek. I mean, like I say, there's like a handful of directors that JMS would go grab for big episodes like this, and Janet Greek is certainly going to be getting the big ones. All right, we got quite a few notable guest stars. Ray, Ray uh, Roy. Dutress as Frederick Lance. John Vickery, the great John Vickery, is Mr. another one of these British actors that comes over and does stuff on B5, is Mr. Wells. Rick Hamilton as Mitch. Robin Sachs shows up again, but this time as Nicole. I got something to say about a couple of these. Jeff Conaway as Zach Allen, who's eventually going to move out of the uh, guest star and into the actual, you know, regular, I think next season maybe, I'm not sure. Uh, Julie Donald is pilot one. Rick Hamilton is, oh, I write Rick Hamilton already. And Joshua Patton is the human Minbari Kosh. Okay. Do you have any random factoids and notes about this one? 
The only factoid I have, and it, it probably isn't terribly obscure, but the line that uh, the uh, um, Ministry of, of Peace mm. gentleman comes up with when he says, we finally have peace in our time, Yes, uh, that is directly taken from Chamberlain's speech yes. uh, about the Munich Accords, and we all know how well that turned out. For, for Chamberlain and for the rest of the world. Yes, we do. That's very good observation. And I would even point out, I hadn't thought of this until you said it just now, there is a new Netflix movie about the Munich conference that just started, that just came up, I think, uh, over the weekend, last weekend. Really? I might I'm have a, to see that one. Well, it's, I'm a it's, huge history buff. Oh, yeah. It's one of those that I'm like, I asked my wife, do you want to see this? She's like, yeah, I kind of want to see it. And I'm like, you know what? We're never going to see it because when she says no, when she says no, I'm like, yes, I'm watching it tomorrow. When she says yes, I'm like, well, sometime in the next two years, we'll get this in. Right. I I do have one other. Um, JMS never wanted the character of of Lieutenant Keffer on the show. Mm. And Keffer was was kind of forced on him by the the executive Ah. uh, or or the, the, the bigwigs. And this was kind of his revenge for <laughs> them forcing that character on him, and he killed him off. Yeah, he did. Well, he were gonna. We, I is it a spoiler to say we kind of get a replacement in a way? I don't think that's a spoiler. Yeah, not really. Nobody will ever replace Kaffer in our hearts, though. That's true. That's true. There is somebody coming though. That the the the, the man on the street level will be filled. Just we'll see when next episode probably when we uh, when we do our next uh, when we do three hundred one three hundred two. But yes. Um, yeah, and we're going to get to what happened to Keffer because that was really, and, and we've gone several episodes without seeing him. I mean, he, for a while there, he was popping up in, you know, like when they'd be having lunch or something, but he's gone a long time without really yeah. showing his face until now. <laughs> and, and I say Keffer's face and I immediately see a, a skull. <laughs> so yeah. Oh boy. They mm. literally showed his face. <laughs> they did. Yeah. All right. I got a few factoids here, but they're all little quick, little bullets, quick, quick takes, quick takes. The Drazi in the opening scene is so obviously Kim Strauss, it's ridiculous because he plays the same Drazi in every freaking time they have a Drazi. And you can tell it's Kim <laughs> Strauss because he looks the same under all that makeup and he has that Kim Strauss delivery, which is like, yes, we Drazi will not go along with your plan, human. You know, he, he, he does that delivery that is just so unique and it, it cracks me up every time. Every time the Drazi's on there, and it does, as soon as he opens his mouth, I'm like, oh, it's Kim Strauss. There he is. Because he's so, you know what I'm saying? He's so distinctive. He's so distinctive right, in that yeah. role. It, and is it just me, or can you tell that it's the same guy as the, as the Drazi? Uh, you know, he comes across as just generic alien number three because he is playing so many different aliens, and he does do the same yeah. delivery for each for each one. It's like, it seems like the, the, the League of Non-Aligned Worlds has this... this <laughs> One way of talking. Super sarcastic almost. I call it like alien right. sarcasm. He's right. just so... I, I keep expecting him to say, human. <laughs> it's true. I mean, but he just that same delivery just kills me. All right. John Vickery plays Mr. Wells. You may also know him as Nehrun the Minbari. Okay, so he's yep. this is him without the makeup on. We had Wayne Alexander without the makeup. Now we have John Vickery without the makeup. Uh, he will also later appear on Crusade, but I won't say how. 
And here he uses his American accent, but he actually is British. So when he's Nehrun, that's his actual accent. When he's Mr. Wells, he's doing a fake American accent, which is the opposite of, uh, of uh, Wayne Alexander, interestingly. Right. Well, it, it seems that British, British actors are much better at doing American accents than the other way around. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Half the cast of Walking Dead is British. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Succession. Succession is the same way. They're all British and Australian, but they're all playing Americans. It's ridiculous. Um, right. uh, Roy Dotris as Lance. I got two things to say about him. He's the, uh, the, he's the, uh, the Earth commissioner that's there to you know, do the Munich Accords, basically. Uh, yeah. he, he played Commissioner Simmons on Space 1999 when he was a younger man. Um, yes, he did. He was the, the the grouchy Earth bureaucrat that ends up trapped on the on Alpha for a couple of episodes, um, and yep. then gets a very chilling send off in Earthbound, one of my favorite <laughs> episodes. He also is the voice of Game of Thrones, the audiobooks. I did not know that. He has spent many many hours in a recording studio reading all those giant George no. R. R. Martin books. <laughs> No yep. kidding. Including all those sexy, steamy sex scenes that, that Martin puts in there, which always makes me uncomfortable. Right. Imagine Roy right. Dotris reading the sex scenes. I'm always like, oh, right. let's fast forward. Okay. <sighs> uh, it's one thing to read them yourself. It's another to listen to, right. to little old gentlemanly Roy Dotris talking about, you know, uh, yeah, a little, a little creepy. Uh, oh, here's another one. Rob, this, is, this is a lot of guest stars. Robin Sachs plays the Narn Captain. You may remember him as, I think, Hedron, the Minbari. Uh, you remember oh, at, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. at the beginning of this season, the beginning of season two, he was the Minbari that came there uh, and told Sheridan, if there is a doom on this station, it's because you have brought it. And yep. uh, now he was very good. He's a very good actor, and he plays the Narn, I thought, very well here. But he here's, I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again. Here's what annoys me about Robin Sachs. Uh, in his credits on Audible Audiobook, he does a lot of Audible Audiobooks too, just like Roy Dotris. He lists all of his TV shows, never mentions Babylon 5. Hmm. Makes me mad. Yep. Um, it's almost Christmas this episode, so the series continues to kind of operate in real time. Remember the, uh, the uh, Chris list at the end of last season was New Year's Eve. Yep. So that's cool. Um, now here's a question I have for you and in general for the listeners, uh, Frederick Lance and Mr. Wells are angry at the end at shit. Well, Wells is not as angry as Lance is. Wells is kind of, uh, you know, equanimical about it. Um, they're angry at Sheridan for protecting the Narn ship because that seems to violate the agreement they've just made with the Centauri. But I'm like, wait a minute. How would Sheridan even know about that treaty or that agreement when he gave the protection guarantee to the Narn captain? I mean, how was Sheridan supposed to uphold an agreement he wasn't even party to? They spring that on him, and he's and they're like, "You're protecting that Narn ship." He's like, "Yeah, <laughs> so what?" And you know, so yeah. he has to use the whole legalistic loophole about you know, I'm required by the regulations, and Wells backs him up on that, but. I just thought it was kind of weird that they expected him to be towing the line of this agreement that they hadn't even told him about yet. I, you know, in t today's political environment, I, I, I don't think it's that unreasonable to expect, you know, your superiors to, to have unreasonable demands of you. <laughs> so it's okay. I mean, well, you know, it's fair. Right. I mean, look at the situation, you know, we've been in the past few years, and, and you'll see that, you know, sometimes, especially when it's, you know, strictly political and not, mm. you know, not trying to do the right thing or not trying to, you know, mm -hmm. have everything, you know, done correctly. 
when you're just expecting it to do it to support the supreme leader, you know, so wait a minute, why would you do that? That's not what we wanted you to do. Doesn't seem all that unexpected to me. Yeah, not unexpected. Maybe unreasonable, but not not surprising, I guess. That's that's a fair enough point. That's a fair enough point. But it just I don't know. It just to me it, it almost seemed like there was a line missing or a scene missing in there that would have explained how they would have thought Sheridan because I guess, I mean Wells just does Wells does kind of step forward in Sheridan's behalf in a way. But I mean that's kind of the way his character operates in this episode. He kind of does he, you know, he kind of does um Zach the same way at the night watch meeting, you know, he's like, he's not mean to him. He's like, Oh, you're coming along fine. You'll get better at this, you know, see it. It's not so hard. And he kind of does right. Sheridan the same way, right? He's like, yo, captain Sheridan is correct. He did the right thing. You know, you know, it's interesting how Wells kind of, he's, he's slimy in a way, kind of like Morden where he's like, he's not mad at you. He's kind of like buttering you up to kind of put you in the corner. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. When we get the explosion and the little transport at the end, okay, I have spent way too many hours of my life <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out how gravity works inside uh, a McNeil. Isn't it called a McNeil station? Is that design the cylinder? Yeah. Um, I know that if you're standing on the inside of the circle, the centrifugal force mimics gravity just like if you take an easter basket full of eggs and you swing it around like a windmill the eggs will not fall out right that's how right. babylon 5 works it's centrifugal force but centrifugal force only applies to the thing being swung around i.e the space station if sheridan is in the middle of the station he is in zero gravity because he's not touching anything that is causing the centrifugal force to be transferred to him. So right. I'm assuming that the problem there is that the explosion kind of propelled him toward the wall slash ground, right? And Correct. so he's Correct. just going to drift along like a butterfly until all of a sudden he impacts that wall and he's not what's going fast. It's not like he's falling fast. He's going to impact the wall like if we tiptoed out in front of a freight train. Exactly. Okay. So he's going to yeah, get that, squished. It, it's just not going to be his velocity that squishes him. It's the velocity of the ground. Right. And Ivanova even explains that. Kind of. But I still, I'm assuming that it's the propulsion of the explosion that's pushing him. Because otherwise, I just feel like he would just float there in the middle until they could go up and get him. Correct. It, yeah. It, if he hadn't been thrown out if, if he hadn't had an external force you know pushing against his back and he jumped explosion, out he would have right yeah right okay but yeah right. once he's once he has set in motion he has no way to stop himself he's got right. nothing to grab onto yeah. there's you know there's really nothing that he can paddle against or anything like that so and yeah but there's no but there's no force acting on him externally at that point other than his own momentum right because it's not like yeah, gravity. It's not like there's Correct. gravity that affects you everywhere. It's only when you're touching the ground. Right. He's yeah. not being attracted to the ground by gravity at all. Because there there is right. no gravity there. It's exactly. it's all it's all artificial it's an, gravity, right? It's an illusion. It it seems like gravity when you're walking around, but as soon as you're up in the air, you're just kind of floating. Yeah. Okay. It's just Correct. really weird because it's one of those things you can only imagine until you actually build a station like that. Um <laughs> right. 
So, yeah, you mentioned the Chamberlain thing. By the way, the name of that movie, I think, is called Munich Prelude to War, or it's Munich Something to War, something like that. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Um, okay. And then I did notice a ranger passing through the scene in the bar near the end when the Narn and the Drazi are debating what they saw. I missed that. Yeah, when the camera, when they're talking, they're talking about it was Droshala whose light fills the world. It doesn't matter. Either way, it's a good sign. A, a, a ranger, the camera follows a ranger walking past them as they're talking. You know, they so. have been really sly about sneaking those rangers mm. in yep. all yep. throughout yep. the season. So when they, yeah, we, yep. yeah. We'll talk about that later. And, of course, we'll have to talk about why did Londo not see anything when everybody else saw their local deity? Yes, I have a big note for the spoiler ah, space. There we that, go. So. We will do it. All right, let's get on. I told you I had a whole bunch of little things. So what was your high point? High point was the space battle. That was so super cool just to it see was. the Babylon 5 defense grid come online and go toe-to-toe with a capital ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the seeing the the Star Furies in action against a capital ship, and it, 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 it this was probably the best space battle so far. And even when when the um, uh, Centauri ship blew up, it didn't look like somebody just dropped a bunch of Legos on the ground. It actually <laughs> it actually looked like a, a legit explosion. I thought that for was once. was pretty darn cool. Yeah, yeah, for once. Yeah, that is one thing they can certainly give us better. In the reboot is explosions. <laughs> right. Good Lord, I'm expecting better explosions. That's like the the one thing. Well, the council chamber. The council chamber and explosions <laughs> in space are the two things I really need them to fix in a, in a new version. Uh, that's, yeah. That, I, and I had a, and, and the, 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 the bug gangster. Three things. Okay, oh, Nagrath. Three things we really need them to fix. Oh, oh an, an all CGI Nagrath would be so great. I love Nagrath so much. Yeah. Um, McGrath better be in the reboot. I, I, that's all I got to say. I'll riot if we don't get a McGrath. <laughs> I got to have McGrath. Um, yeah, I said this just hard to choose. There's so many high points in this episode. But I kind of just went, I guess, with the, the last thing I saw. I went with Susan's closing voiceover. It was the end of the year 2259 and you know, blah, blah, blah. I just really like when they kind of evoke where we are at this point and where we're going, and they do that kind of at the end of each season in some way or another with different actors, and and uh, yeah. we will kind of encounter that again soon. By the way, also, that space battle, they blew off one of the uh, like the cargo arms on the station. Yes, yes. And Babylon it, 5 did not come through unscathed. No, no. And it, if man, memory, did, Go ahead. Well, if, if memory serves, we will see them working on it next season. I, yeah, that would be cool. I didn't realize that. That's, I think they neat. do. I think we do see that. Yeah. And B five gave out better than it got too. I mean, B five is what blew the crap out of that Centauri warship. So that was pretty groovy. Yeah, that was a Primus, like the ones that they used. We saw one early. This isn't this the second one that's gotten blown up. Did we blow one up at the uh, when they um, just a couple of episodes ago? Did we blow one up? I. I, I I don't think so. The, I, I'm not the, sure. I'll, I'll, the one with the I reporter. Remember, the one with the reporter. Yeah, was there? And now for a uh, word. I feel like I'll there have, was I'll a have battle. To go back and, and yeah, I feel be. like there was a Narn Centauri battle of those two ships, those two kind of ships, right outside the station during that episode. And uh, I feel like the Centauri ship got blown up. So I don't know. They're they're winning the war, been, but, but I, every, t- every time we I, see I them, they think, lose. Right. <laughs> Every time they go toe-to-toe in front of Babylon, maybe they should have just scheduled the whole war right there in front of Babylon 5. <laughs> that would have worked for the, the Narn. The, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the Narn would have done much better. Yeah. 
And I think I think they've done a good job of showing that it wasn't the Centauri that won the war; it was the Shadows that won that war. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say I think that we see in the beginning of season three them working on that docking arm, that cargo arm, and that was the first time maybe that I really went. They are very carefully maintaining continuity in this show, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if it happens in one episode, because I mean, how many how many science fiction shows had we seen before? Babylon 5 where something like that would happen in the next episode you don't even they don't even mention it you don't see anything about it right absolutely yeah like like the Enterprise was on a five year mission and it got the crap knocked out of it every third episode yep you never <laughs> yeah. see any you know anybody repairing anything or any scars on it or anything like that right exactly and I'll just say again no spoilers but there's stuff coming up in uh, in uh, season three talk about continuity I was my jaw we're coming up on some episodes relatively soon that my jaw was on the floor at how they remembered things from one episode to the next. Right. It's almost as if one guy were writing everything or something. (laughs) And, and not Yeah, You're right. But not just that he's doing it and he's trying to make it one long story instead of a bunch of separate little stories. It goes in order. Yeah. Oh, Incredible. While um, while being forced to call audibles every other season. You yes. know? <laughs> yeah. And and JMS has made the point that before Babylon Five, hardly any show did that. If not any, no show did that. And after Babylon right. Five, now almost every show does that. That that is now the ex the expectation. Yes. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I was disappointed by TV shows when I was a kid because I read Marvel comics and I wanted the TV shows to have that kind of continuity. Right. You know, there was one show that that touched on it called Wise Guy. Oh, okay. Um, where every season was one long arc. Oh, um, wow. Okay, I, I I didn't realize that. That's good to know. It, it, wise Guy, Wise Guy. He was a a, 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 a federal agent that worked for uh, one of the uh, a fictitious anti crime organization, and he went deep undercover in a different crime family. Um, each season. It only lasted three seasons, so we only got really three examples of it. But uh, yeah, they, it was a, a pretty integrated arc. But yeah, mm. Babylon 5 took it to a whole new level. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. Um, all right. Low point of the episode. Did you find anything low? Uh, yes. The very, uh, the, that end part when uh, Lieutenant <laughs> Keffer meets his, meets his demise. And, oh, you know, JMS wasn't kidding around. He wasn't leaving anything left to the imagination. There, there was no way Keffer was coming back from this because he had his face melted off. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was with an exclamation point. Yes, Keffer is dead. Right in exclamation front of our eyes. Point. Yes, right, right in front of our eyes, melted away in a horrifying, blood-curdling scream, too. My gosh. Right. Um, my low point, and I, it, I'm surprised it took me this long, this many episode viewings to kind of get it. And I knew it, but it, I never was trying to find a low point before, I guess. The Centauri explosive device on the tram. If they had just put a bundle of TNT sticks under the seat, Sheridan would be dead. Right, or just left like a briefcase there. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, they stick this thing that might as well scream Centauri because it's got the little frills and everything. And they stick it to the side, to the wall or whatever, and it's going... Like it's making that movie TV noise of I'm getting ready right. to blow up. If yeah. they had just turned the volume down on it, he wouldn't have even <laughs> noticed it, you know? But well, uh, and I think yeah. I think they wanted him to know that it that it was them that was killing him. 
because yeah. the look that the guy gave him as he was walking out yes. was like, ha. Huh. So yes, I, no, I think that absolutely. was kind of intentional on, on the bad guy's part. Yeah, and that was a mistake, too, because Sheridan picked up on it and looked around. Yeah. Sheridan saw that look and was kind of frowning, like, why is this guy looking at me like that, you know? And right. then he sees that thing going, beep. Yeah, so. Well, nobody said that they were competent assassins. No, that's true. And they weren't shadows. They were Centauri. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The Centauri have yet to do anything really competent themselves other than throw rocks at Narn, I guess. But other than that. You're right. Yeah, um, I, I do have an Orenzento Zento, Benzane award. I'm going to give it to Kim Strauss this episode just because I'm not in a malicious way. It's just that it's so funny to me. I, that's all it is at this point. It's at this point, it's not an alien. It's just Kim Strauss, as I said, in a, in makeup. And it just <laughs> always cracks me up as soon as he opens his mouth. So I'm going to, I'm going to give him this as an honor rather than as a dishonor. So there you go. You got, have you got one? I, I do. I I want to give it to the uh, the gentleman playing uh, the various forms of Kosh oh. um, when he's out of in his angelic form because he looks to be very I am an angel with, with his <laughs> you know his his angelic nod and and yeah. all that stuff and it's is you know his his facial expressions and everything. I don't know if it was bad acting or if he was directed to act like that, but I I, I that was not convincing as as an angelic you know, being, it was more like a dude in a dress. You know, I've always wondered about that. I've always wondered why he's, I, I, my only theory is because they're using CGI around him. It may have been, they said you can't really move. So he kind of has right. to nod and smile, but he can't really move his head because he's within a CGI construct, you know, and this is again, 1995. Right. So it's, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Otherwise, I have no idea why he's like that. I'm kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, I think yeah. he was directed to, to act like that. I think so. Um, all right. What was your most Babylon 5 scene? Uh, the most, it, the, that final, the the Kosh reveal there. I mean, that was, you know, we, we've we been waiting to see what Kosh looked like for two full seasons now. And it's been a big mystery. And we got a little bit of a hint of that a couple episodes ago with uh, with Lita. And seeing the big reveal and everybody seeing it and the explanation that Delenn gave and everything, I thought that was very a, a huge moment in Babylon Five. I think that's absolutely the right answer. I also noted the uh, when the Narn cruiser escapes while the Star Furies are blowing up the Centauri Primus, and 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 as you noted, Babylon Five is also blowing it up. That's pretty pretty Babylon Five scene too. But yeah, I think if it's Kosh and it's a big moment, I think that's going to have to win. So I agree. Um, Favorite character moment. My favorite character moment was, and I had I had one scratched out when um, I, I have three, but one of them I scratched out because two of them had to do with Sheridan. But the first one I had written down was Sheridan's uh, comment about his uh, his uniform when he said, "You know, I, I was really super proud oh. when I the first time I put this uniform on. I was really proud of myself. I thought this was a great thing. Ten and feet now tall. Now it's just not, not, yeah, felt like I was ten feet tall." Now it's just another piece of clothing. I thought that was a pretty cool character moment. Yeah. Uh, but really, it's for him, it was his apology. When he was rehearsing his apology <laughs> in the mirror, and he, he turns it around and says, I'm sorry, you're just such a bunch of jerks, basically, that to summarize his apology. I thought that was great. That I had to blow um, you straight to hell. Yeah, he gets his straight to yeah. hell. <laughs> but uh, my, the, the one I'm going to settle on is Ivanova when she tells off the uh, the Night Watch guy. Uh, when, when he's trying to recruit her and she 
she gives them the business. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. That was so Ivanova. Yeah, and and again, that's Mr. Wells doing that honey trap thing where he's just so smooth and nice and pleasant and smiling. And he and Mr. He and Mr. Morden probably hang out at this point, don't you think? <laughs> yes, they just they, practice they, off they each swap other. They stories at the bar. Yeah, kind of, kind of um, like Veer, Veer, and Lanier. They they get to the bar. And oh, we didn't even mention that one yet. That's coming up. That's coming up. Right, yeah, right. That, yeah, that's coming up for me too. <laughs> all right, for fate. For favorite character moment, I had Sheridan's apology. As with all things, it's the thought that counts. But I also had, I just, I have this one just because it's kind of foreboding in ways that you didn't know the first time. So I'll just leave it at this. Londo tells Sheridan, do not start getting delusions of grandeur, Captain. You will not survive them. And I'm like, ooh. Yep. I'll just leave that right there and we'll let people chew on that. But that was an interesting little moment there. That was an interesting little exchange. Um, okay, here we go. For an episode that was as heavy as this, there were some funny moments. So what did you have for funniest moment? I'm really interested. The one I had, I think you alluded to this just a bit ago, was when uh, Lanier and Veer met in the bar <laughs> to complain about their bosses. And, and uh, I, I forget who said it to the other, but they said, same time tomorrow, and the other one said, "Yep." <laughs> and and before kind of that, they both at the character building moment. Yes, at the same time, they both say, "Makes me nervous." Yeah, <laughs> I, I always think of that as the yeah. "makes me nervous" conversation. Yeah, uh, because they're both saying things only about themselves, and yet they're talking to each other because they identify with each other's plight. You know, it's the same plight exactly. to a certain degree. Um, I had two others besides that. All right. I've got when Ivanova says if the pilots don't get better, she'll issue live ammo for practice. That should liven things up. <laughs> good, good old Susan. It's been a while since Susan has given us the funniest. You know, remember in the first season, Susan was just popping them off left and right. So right. it's good when she comes back to her, her funny self a little bit and not so serious. And then my other one is one I've always loved. It's Jakar trying to hide behind a bush. Right. <laughs> I mean, he's the least subtle person ever hiding right. behind a little shrub. Like, Psst, come here, come here. It's <laughs> like, come on, Jakar, give me a break. So that Homer was classic. Homer Simpson did it better. Yes, exactly. Very Homer Simpson moment for Jakar there. That's not a good thing. All right. I've got quite a little thing here for who won the episode. Would you care to tell me who you think won? Not Keffer. No, <laughs> I have that. <laughs> I have that down. I'll get to mine in a second. Uh, I I think if I had to pick somebody, it would be Sheridan because he ended up not dead, unlike poor <laughs> Mister Keffer. Yeah. Oh, and the whole Keffer thing, we got it. We didn't note, but I mean, at the very, very, very end of the episode, they're just saying how well. Thank goodness the shadows don't know that we know about them, you know. And then yeah, right. Way to go, Keffer! You go out with a bang, and you may have ruined everything. <laughs> oh, yep. No. Oh no! 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 Oh, poor Keffer. He 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 poor meant Keffer. well, but you know he just didn't understand that they were trying to be stealthy and not tell everybody that space spiders from hell are out there. And here he comes. So, all right, here's what I have for who won the episode. I said not Kosh. It was bad that he had to reveal himself, so he didn't win. Yep. Not Keffer. Not only did he die. The thing he thought was a good action only made things worse, so just losing all around. Poor Keffer. Not Sheridan or Delenn or Jakar because they didn't gain anything and may have lost ground. And you're right that Sheridan lived, so that's 
I guess, but I, the three of them all were trying to gain something and all kind of really just held steady, if anything. I said, not Londo, because even though Earth joined the Centauri in an alliance, he came off looking very bad and now has fewer friends than ever, and it wasn't a lot to begin with. And he's basically space Hitler now. Did you notice that, that last scene you know, it was silent? There was- that that scene, right, when they were showing him in, in the council chamber railing against somebody, mm-hmm. his hand mo- – and I'm, I'm sure it was intentional. Oh, yeah. His hand and his body language was, was like, taken up right out of a video of, of Hitler speaking. It was, it was eerie and, and unsettling. Yeah, we went from Chamberlain to Hitler there, from, the, from right. Lance to, to Delando. So space Hitler, he's gone from space clown, space buffoon to space Hitler. And that really, I mean, at this point at the end of season two, you know, you and I talked about this so much in season one that we kept kind of hinting that, yeah, Jakar is the angry Klingon and Londo is the drunk cartoon character, but wait, right? Just wait. Well, now you see, now you see, and it didn't take as long as I even remembered Jakar has right. become, you know, Gandhi basically a lot faster than I remembered he did. Right. And it it was so subtle. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. little bits here and there, little decisions here and there. Yeah. That one or two conversations later, you're like, holy crap. You yep. know, I was just rooting for Lando. Oh, wow. That was in season one. And now here he is. Mm-hmm. How did this happen? You know, how, yep. did, how did we end up in, with, with Space Hitler? Yeah. It's, so it's, it was very, very effectively done. It really, absolutely. So continuing my list of who did not win, <laughs> kind of change the category to who didn't <laughs> win, not the Earth, because now in, now it's siding with the, with the shadows and the, and the Centauri and sliding more and more toward fascism, which is something I'm really hoping the New Babylon 5 will show us even in more detail is what's going on on Earth. Right. And it I said... Get any- any much further towards fascism. No, it's pretty much landed squarely in the middle of the swastika at this point. And I said, not the shadows, not the Vorlon. So I said, did anybody win this episode? Honestly, I don't think anybody did. I I said nobody won it. It's all bad for everybody. Yeah, that's that's very, uh, very uh, legit. I, you know, the, you know, who, 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 who didn't lose in this episode is Zathras because he wasn't in it. So that way was not bad for Zathras. <laughs> right. All right, Andy, maybe, we got to do maybe it. The, maybe, the other, maybe the other Star Fury pilot who gave uh, Kefra that information, because he didn't, you know, he, he wasn't, wasn't the one the that one. got killed. He wasn't the one that got killed. We found somebody that won. He was a cynical yeah. son of a gun, too, man. He was like, he, Kefra had to really butter him up, you know? Right, right. Because like, he was flying man. around the old rust bucket, you yeah. know, we didn't have yeah, our Star, Star Furies. Furies delivered by the president like you guys. You know? <laughs> right. Kefir's like, why? Well, like how many stuff. how many Star Fury pilots are on this station? Because it seemed like those two had never talked before. Yeah, yeah. And and Babylon Five isn't that big of a place. They don't have. Mm. It's not like you know the Air Force where you have you know hundreds mm. of pilots. They, they probably have twenty pilots total for this space station. I would think. Yeah, because what else are they going to be doing? I mean, you know, right. that's their job. So interesting. So I'll do I'll I'll do you a solid here. You're wanting me to go first. I will go first. I <laughs> I rate it, but but that I'm looking forward to hearing yours. I rated this episode another four point five, and I mean again, this is one that was right there. It's another one of those that if I didn't know what was coming, see here's what would be happening, Andy. If we were watching this for the first time, I'd have already had a bunch of fives, and in season three and four, I'd be like, all right, seven. 
(laughs) (laughs) We'd be changing the numbers in the next season because we'd be like, dang, we didn't dream it could get this much better. So I'm going 4.5. Again, i got to leave a half a space for the ones I know are, are even bigger. Right. I and I also have a four point five. Yeah. I thought it was a very effective episode. You know, up and my wife was watching this one with me, and up until the very end, it looked like the the end of the episode was going to be, um, you know, him just giving a swallowing his pride and giving the the apology to to Molari. You know, it mm-hmm. they it, you didn't realize that there was, you know, going when he was practicing that that um, apology in the in the mirror. You figure, okay, well, this episode's got you know two or three more minutes left in it. Then I guess no, there was a whole another ten minutes after that because yes. there was that big, yes. huge moment right at the very end. It's like they, and I remember watching it for the first time, and when they dropped that on you, it was like, whoa, where did mm-hmm. that come from? So no. yeah, I mean that 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 ramped up the excitement really quick. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It was it was very much you think the episode is almost over, and then there's this whole other thing that just kind of comes out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. What an ending, too. So, two again. I don't think we've had two four point five episodes together back to back yet. I think this is the first time. Not that we both agreed on, anyway. Right. 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 That's fair. <laughs> um, so, wow. All right. So, season two comes to an end. Uh, we'll do our spoiler space in just a second. But on our next installment, we will cover. Well, as we were saying a minute ago, on our next installment, we will do the season wrap up with our special guests. And that'll be yep. fun to look back on season two. Yep. And then we will do 301 and 302, which is, I believe, uh, I can't remember what they're called off the top of my head. Uh, Matters of Honor and Convictions. Yeah, yeah. I believe that's it. Matters of Honor and Convictions. That's off the top of my head. Lord help me, I remember these things. I just don't even, couldn't tell you what I had for lunch yesterday, but I remember that episode right. 301 <laughs> is Matter of Honor and 302 is Convictions. All right. So any other thoughts before we go into spoiler space? I, I have no more thoughts. All right, here we go. Jump gate activated. All right, we are in the spoiler space, so if you don't want to know anything beyond these episodes, bail. Bail out. Bail now. So all I've really got is that the reveal of Kosh in this episode, I thought, was done in a very, almost an insidious way. Because when I watched this the first time, I took this episode to mean that Kosh really was a good guy. The Vorlons really were good guys. And that was the side Sheridan and the humans needed to be on and their angels and all that. Knowing right. what we know now, this is all just public relations. Right. This is just evidence that while the shadows are powerful, the Vorlons are better at PR. Absolutely. Because the shadows try to bribe you into supporting their point of view with what do you want. The Vorlons try to make you think it's the right thing to do to support them because they're angelic, wonderful beings. But interestingly, Sheridan suspects this. When Delenn says that the Vorlons have visited various worlds for thousands or millions of years, um, she is saying it in a very admiring way. But Sheridan shoots back with programming us, manipulating us. And I'll just wrap that up by saying that always made me think of the Bene Gesserit in the Dune universe, that they go out, the Missionaria Protectiva, that they would go out and and set these myths in place so that if their people ever needed help on those planets, they could play on those myths, you know? Yeah, absolutely. that's kind of what the Vorlons do, right? They set themselves up as these mythological beings so if they ever need your help, you think you want to help them. 
So right. that's, I, that's, I, that's always, and maybe this is just my personal uh, philosophy, but always be be wary of somebody who is who is presenting themselves as as a great religious figure. I mean, that's yeah. just just don't trust that. Yeah, that's fair. That's my only spoiler. You have something? the only thing I the only thing I wanted to, to, to talk about was Londo's reaction to uh, Kosh. Now, mm-hmm. in the bar, and, and this is my question for you because I'm I'm not sure what the answer is. In the bar, the, they both ask him, "What did you see?" And he he just kind of says nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure if that was him just being cynical and and not wanting to admit what he saw, or if he legit really didn't see the true form of Kosh. All right, I 100% think he didn't see anything because okay. the shadows have their hooks in him and he's not seeing the Vorlons the way everybody else is. That's my perception. Gotcha. So that then begs the question, what did he see? Did he just see Sheridan float to the ground? It's <laughs> a good question. Did he, did he just Yeah, did he just see like a ball of light? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> he saw I a little know. black think... box and it said redacted by shadow tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was all blurred out. It was blurred out, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly uh, what he saw. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, no, I think that's it. Um, he, yeah, he's too in close with the shadows, and I've never gotten any. I've never gotten any evidence to the contrary that he just didn't see anything at all. That's my, always been my understanding. But it's a really good question, though. So, all right, I think that's it. Um, this one ran a little long, but we had two really big episodes to talk about. So I make right, no apologies right. to anybody except maybe your wife. Tell her we had two big episodes and we couldn't help it. So, <laughs> All right, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, sir. No, me either. All right, we're going to get on out of here for another episode. We will be back in, I guess, two weeks' time to have our big season two wrap party and talk to some guests about it. And uh, otherwise, uh, be good and stay safe, Andy, and we'll see you soon. All right, sounds good, Van. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.